0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And making a long-awaited return to the studio, we have our Hollywood editor, Hilary Bises. Thanks for having me. It's Hillary. I'm just really just sorry we didn't bring you in for Mamma Mia week, since I know that was a totemic moment in your life. It was. I'm still recovering. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I've changed... Uh, a lot of things about my life have changed. Well, when its Oscar campaign starts up, we'll have you back on in like December to talk about its Golden Globes chances, et cetera. I don't think there was an original song in there, so I'm I'm very worried about that's, its Oscar chances. It's a real missed opportunity now that you think about it.
1: Could they nominate all three young guys like like they did for like Billy Elliot or something like at the Tonys? <laughs>
0: they share they share an honorary Oscar yeah. that's like Ju- Judy Garland's for <laughs> right, Wizard exactly. of Foss? Or what if they're all Mister Golden Globe?
1: Mm, I would accept that. Wholeheartedly. I would watch them
0: handing everyone their Golden Globe statues.
2: Or maybe they sing Uptown Funk at the beginning of the show, (laughs) like the Stranger Things kids at the Emmys. They need to hire
0: us for these things. (laughs) So it is still the summer, and we still are not seeing a lot of Oscar potential movies in theaters, but there is a ton of award season news. In the last couple days, many of the major fall festivals have announced at least parts of their lineup. So we're basically going to go in chronological order and talk about what's on these lineups, what that means, and what we're anticipating. Uh, And then from after that, we will talk about uh, the summer blockbuster of the week that has everyone really excited, Mission Impossible, Fallout best Tom Cruise stunt performance uh, Oscar. They will make a whole category for it. But first, let's look a little bit ahead to September. Um, basically, it's going to start in chronological order. So the major three fall festivals that we've talked about, you've got the Telluride and Venice Film Festival over Labor Day weekend, and then you've got Toronto after that. Telluride famously doesn't announce its lineup until about a week before, but we do no. have the Day Venice. And di- oh my goodness, yeah. So Richard is on his way to Telluride when he finds out what he's going to be seeing. They love drama, Telluride. They really
1: do. But you can you can kind of figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. about Well, yeah. It as we go, so we've yeah. got
0: what happened today as we we're recording this is the Venice Film Festival announced its lineup, uh, which is happening relatively simultaneously with Telluride. Um, they tend to have a lot of good European films. They didn't have a lot of good films in general. This year's lineup is pretty exceptional. Um, the one that stood out for me, and I think a lot of us, is the Coen Brothers movie that we didn't even know was a movie. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a Netflix limited series uh, called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it turns out it's going to be an anthology film. Uh, what else stood out for you guys on this lineup?
2: I mean, I'm still just really excited about A Star is Born. I know that that is probably the most basic answer possible to that question, but I just really want to see it. I'm so
0: curious about this movie, the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper remake. I kind of thought they might hold it because it's a Warner Brothers release. It's got big stars. It doesn't need festival buzz, but it does seem like there's a level of confidence in it that it's going to all of these big festivals.
2: Right. And I think I've already read um, that they started showing it to distributors who apparently have had a very positive reaction to the movie. So I guess maybe that boosted their confidence even further and made them decide to like really give it a push.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, like a musical called La La Land debuted at Venice, you know, a couple years ago. And I just think I think that that it's a festival movie. Indicates to me that there that, that that there's reason for its aspirations. You know, like I it, it, that it's
2: not just Lady Gaga made a movie that right. this is an awards a real contender.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, again, I, I did talk to someone who saw it and he was you know saying its praises in certain areas. So I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, and I feel like an international, European audience in particular, like, they're kind of cheese balls over there. <laughs> so, like, I feel like they might. Just, <laughs> Exhibit like, A, really... <laughs> Mamma Mia. Exhibit
2: B, Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. <laughs>
1: exactly. I feel like they really might go for it. And then sort of, it'll, like, kick the movie off. Like, it, it'll give it some good momentum as it enters the, the fall season. The
0: Hollywood foreign press this is the people that gave Lady Gaga her golden globe, right? I oh mean. get ready for mm-hmm. her second. Like if she doesn't win it, I think there's gonna they're gonna burn. I down think she
1: hammering. already won. <laughs> I think that they, there's a there was a press release about that.
0: Uh, all right Richard, what's it up for you at the Venice lineup?
1: Um I you know, we've talked about we talked about the trailer last week, but I'm really curious about the favorite the Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Um, but one that kind of snuck in, and I don't know if it's going to be at other festivals, is Paul Greengrass's movie, 22 July, which is, um, you know, just a cheery comedy about the Norwegian terror attacks uh, a few years ago. Um, I did speak to a publicist for the movie a couple weeks ago, and she told me that, I mean, it's her job to tell me it's good, but what she described to me was not just, you know, it wasn't 90 minutes of, like, a terrorist attack. It's actually more about what the, what Norway did afterward to kind of come together as a community and to prosecute the guy who did it. Um, and, you know, given that he's, like, a neo-Nazi, blah, 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 like, there's some, sadly, some really pertinent relevance to today. Um, so I'm really curious about that. And then Vox Lux, which is another musical, I think... With Natalie There's, Portman.
2: There should just be a musical yeah. film festival. <laughs> I would be there oh God, every day. That's actually
1: <laughs> brilliant idea. Um, which, uh, you know, it stars Natalie Portman um, as a pop singer... It's billed as a musical on IMDb. Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee. And it's directed by Brady Corbett, who we mostly know as an actor from Funny Games and various other things, Clouds of Sils Maria. Um, but he directed in 2015 a movie called The Childhood of a Leader, which was really well received by some. It's kind of a sort of pretentious arthouse piece. Anyway, I'm very curious about that. I feel like that could be like a slow burn kind of like dark horse contender for something. Maybe Natalie Portman. I don't know.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of buried uh, a little bit below the films, I guess, because it's playing out of competition, uh, there's going to be preview of My Brilliant Friend, the the HBO Elena Ferrante adaptation, um, which I'm very curious about.
0: I'm going to go pick a couple of, like, fancy director titles, which God knows when we'll see them. Some of them may come out last year, next year. But you've got the first film from Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, Since the Tourist, which was kind of his follow-up to the lives of others, which was this huge, like, successful German film. The Tourist was a disaster. Uh, so it's interesting to see if he can come back there. Uh, Jennifer Kent, the director of The Babadook, has a film and competition, The Only Woman with a film with a in competition, which is its own thing. And then I'm really excited to see the film from Laszlo Nemes. The uh, I think he's a Hungarian director who made Son of Saul, which was incredibly grim, kind of then the Paul Greengrass uh, style, just deep dive into human depravity. Uh, but he's got a new film coming. So I'm intrigued to see. And it has to be lighter than Son of Saul. I don't think there's an option. So um, we'll see what happens with that.
1: The exciting thing about this lineup and the Toronto lineup, which we'll talk about, is that this year was so weird because there really was not a big awards contender that came out of Sundance. There really wasn't one that came out of Cannes. Um, There wasn't one of the South by Southwest really. So like, it's just like, I guess we have Black Panther. That's one we think is in the best picture race. But, like, beyond that, like, we're, all of this is, like, new, exciting, like, haven't seen it stuff. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, it's really – I wish I was going to Venice, frankly, but um, maybe next year. <laughs>
0: well, the, yeah, the idea of us late summer in Europe is always appealing. Um, and the, speaking of Cannes, it's notable that you've got several Netflix titles here after Cannes had its whole uh, blow up with Netflix this year. You've yeah. got the Alfonso Cuarón movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got the um, Paul Greengrass movie. I think there's a couple – well, uh, my brilliant friend is HBO – so they're embracing Netflix and can kind of position themselves as competitors to Canon that way, which is smart. Why not? Uh, should we move on to Toronto? Let's yeah. do it. Well, there's a little bit of overlap between them. We should mention that. I think First Man, the Damien Chazelle, Neil Armstrong movie, uh, The Sisters Brothers, which is the Western from Jacques Odiard, uh possibly a few others will be at Toronto as well as Venice. Um, but there's a ton of other stuff to dig into from Toronto. So uh, what grabbed your attention?
1: Well, it's, it's kind of a Toronto Telluride uh, mashup. So uh, on the Toronto uh, billing... Um, this movie, The Front Runner, directed by Jason Reitman, starring Hugh Jackman, based on the true story about Gary Hart, the politician in the eighties. That it, it says international premiere, so we can kind of divine from that that it's going to be a telly ride because it would say world premiere if it wasn't. Anyway, it's kind of complicated, silly logic, but mm-hmm. but I'm really curious about that. Not because you know Jason Reitman had some dark years uh, post Up in the Air, I would say, but 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 Tully was really great this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugh Jackman, you know. Kind of weirdly, Under the Radar had a huge year last year with Greatest Showman and Logan, like two of the biggest movies of the year. You know, one of them at least. I think critically The Greatest allotted. Showman
2: might still be in theaters. I think people yeah. love that movie. Oh,
1: people love that movie. If you go on YouTube, everyone's doing covers of songs. Like it, it was a cultural <laughs> phenomenon that I think maybe either over or under people's heads. So anyway, he's riding high. Here's now an Oscar-y kind of, like, political drama with Vera Farmiga's in it. Um, maybe it's Jason Reitman's, uh, you know, sort of Oscar-y comeback. He used to make movies that got nominated for tons of Oscars. So, And
0: he's uh, a Toronto native son, we should note, so he'll get a warm well, reception no matter what. Mm.
1: Uh, well, the, the party will probably be at Montecito, which is his dad's restaurant, right, <laughs> right, right behind where everything screens. So so anyway, um, it, it's more of a mainstream kind of, like, traditional Oscar thing, but I am really curious about it. Um, And now that it's being positioned as a Telluride and then a Toronto movie, like clearly someone behind it has hopes for it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't stop thinking about Widows. That's Mm. that's like top of my list. So Widows written by Gillian Flynn, directed by Steve McQueen. Oh, I think uh, Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen actually wrote it together, which is even better. Viola Davis is in there, Cynthia Erivo, Andre Holland. I mean, it's it's a great cast. It's a really interesting kind of storyline it's an original movie um which is exciting um yeah I am very I don't know it's been a while since Gillian Flynn has like produced anything she's been kind of working on this show with David Fincher for a long time that we haven't seen yet uh she's got this movie I'm like very excited for her to be back in the mainstream like it's her year Sharp Objects and this
1: yeah no totally and I think the big question is you know, or was, was like, is this movie an awards movie? Is it just an, like a co- purely commercial? It's from Warner Brothers. But I don't know, putting it at Toronto, like that feels like they're ch- maybe angling for something.
2: For something Gone Girl-esque that is both awardsy and a blockbuster. Exactly. I mean, ideally. There, no, there's no reason
0: not to. Like that template is right there for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really intrigued and maybe a little bit surprised to see The Hate You Give on the Toronto lineup. Uh, I think, like I, to me, I was thinking of it as this adaptation of this really successful uh, young adult book. So I was like, okay, you know, the Love Simon mold, but a little bit more serious. And George Tillman Jr. has had a really long career uh, as director, but not you know, necessarily doing awards season-y stuff. But it does seem like it's so topical. It's about—I uh, haven't read the book, but it's about a girl who I think her classmate is killed by police, um, and is kind of coping with that. I don't know. It seems like there really there's a lot of faith in this, and that that tips a lot really. Um, seems says that
1: yeah and um so the the book it's based on is huge um so i don't know if listeners remember because i plugged it a bunch but uh, i had a a young adult novel come out (laughs) earlier this year i didn't hear about that no yeah yeah all we can do is wait uh, and stars now but in my sort of toe dipping let's say into the ya world um it was immediately like apparent like that book was the first book anyone mentioned whether it was a young reader whether it was a per- person who worked you know in pu- in behind the scenes in publishing whether it was a bookseller like the hate you give is a huge huge like pervasive cultural kind of thing um maybe more for young readers than adults um so yeah i think that they're positioning that, that movie um i think they have high hopes for it again i talked to a publicist for it and she was kind of touting it which again is her job but like I, I don't think that that's one that we can kind of discount in any way as just like a YA adaptation. I think it's more than that.
2: Yeah, and it's star, Madlis is one of the biggest young activists uh, among this like new generation of stars who are also very politically active. And, you know, she's got a huge social media following. And so I think that uh, that will also probably boost its chances. I, if nothing else, this movie, I think, is going to do very well at the box office.
0: I miss waiting for a lot of old Academy voters to get their screeners and be like, what is this? And have no and idea be like, to wait, with the this. hate you give is yeah. an acronym? Because I didn't realize that until I saw the trailer. <laughs> I literally just realized that right now. <laughs> okay,
2: so children. at least I'm not alone
0: in being <laughs> yeah, old and uh, it, stupid. It, it, it's possible we have things to learn from this movie. <laughs> you guys
1: need to go to more YA book events. <laughs>
0: yes. So. No, please don't, don't go to those. <laughs> uh, I want to ask The Room how we're feeling about life itself. I don't I don't think we've talked about that trailer, which really just <sighs> seemed to say, this is, oh this is us, the movie. And it's got kind of, kind of a lot of Toronto, which I think suggests some faith in it, but also it's worth remembering. Toronto gets huge audiences and gets all these people who live around the city. and. Kind of heartwarming films can really do well there, even if they're not necessarily embraced by critics. I don't want to say that for life itself, because who knows? But it it, it did seem to be kind of like so cheesy and manipulative that I wasn't sure what to make of it. But I don't know. They're asking us to yeah. consider it.
1: I mean, here's what I'll say about that. A, Oscar <laughs> Isaac, like, you know, can do no wrong in my mind. Yes. Yeah.
0: Be. The only person who says the
2: things that Oscar Isaac says in that trailer and would not seem like a <laughs> right. serial he says, killer says, I am going Oscar to ask Isaac. you out and
0: then marry you and you have no choice. Yes, yeah. immediately.
1: <laughs> so the trailer begins with this horrible monologue where he basically tells a woman that apparently he's never asked out on a date, that he's like, well, I'm, the reason I have, I've waited is because when I do ask you on a date, like, you're mine forever. <laughs> like, it's it's horrifying. <laughs> he's like the yeah. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this, like, wistful sort of indie kind of Mumford-y s- song playing. So I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this is so stupid but I hate this so much, laugh at it. I sent it to my sister being like, you have to watch this awful trailer, laugh at it. And then I kind of watched it a second time while she watched it for a first time, like over Gchat. And I got teary (laughs) watching it the second time. He
0: got you, Fogelman got you. how they get you.
1: So I think it's going to be probably pretty bad, but like, I will happily be there at the press screening um, ready to be proven wrong.
0: I will admit to having liked Crazy Stupid Love.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so... You yeah. know, there's possibilities there. Can't you see yourself after like five days of festival films of like you know horrifying Holocaust dramas or whatever, and then like settling down for that screen and being like, oh, thank God, this feels so much better. <laughs> I love you too, yeah. Oscar Isaac.
1: <laughs> yeah. It'll just, yeah, it'll go down like butter. Um, no, I mean, I mean, I think you're right, Katie. That like that's it's definitely a populist play at that festival. You can't just only serve art house. Um, TIFF is a huge business, and the reason they have so many movies is because. They, you know, they charge a lot of money for tickets and, you know, it's it's a big economic thing for the city. Um, and so you have to kind of, you know, have your world premiere of Mia Hansen loves new movie weighed out by, you know, this is us, you know, the motion picture. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, can, can we talk about if Beale Street could talk? Because I think it's no surprise yeah, to see definitely. it on these festival lineups. But it see, based on it being a world premiere, it seems like it won't be a Telluride, which is a festival Barry Jenkins, the director, has a ton of history with. So, Richard, you had a theory on this, I think.
1: Well, I had heard that it wasn't ready for Telluride and it's only like a few days apart, but maybe that's a crucial number of days. Um, But like, yeah, because Telluride, I think he used to work there. His films have premiered there. Last year, he introduced Lady Bird at the world premiere at Telluride. You know, it just kind of flew in to do this like kind of favor for the festival. So it seemed like a natural fit that he would be there. But yeah, I don't really know like beyond that, beyond like the sort of timing of it, why that would be, but I'm glad that we're going to get, we're going to get it.
0: Yeah, you were kind of worried it wouldn't be out this year at all, I think. Or you had me worried yeah. about that, so I'm glad that it's coming.
1: And especially because there was, like, a sort of an embargoed press release that went out to some press the day before the, the announcement of the TIFF lineup, and it wasn't on there. And I was like, oh, man, so it's just not going anywhere. But I'm really glad we get to see it. It's, you know, it's an adaptation of James Baldwin's story. It's, like got a great cast, um, you know, and a follow-up is always interesting, whether it's a good or bad follow-up, mm. who knows, but it's always kind of an, an interesting narrative.
2: I'm just excited to see Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins at all of the same awards events
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: a couple of years after the envelope drop heard around the world. It's them together again and Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet both having movies this fall. They're just there's just something so nice about these pairs that we, you know, put together at least in our minds. But although Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins do seem to be genuinely yeah. friends. Well, so.
2: and speaking of Lucas Hedges though, Boy Erased hasn't been on any of these big festival lineups yet, which is kind of a surprise. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I had my little list of what we haven't seen yet. And I think a lot of them, like, you know, these are initial lineups for TIFF. Like, TIFF is a massive festival, so there'll be a lot added to it. It does seem like Boy Erase could show up later on. But so Focus Features has that as well as on the basis of sex. And I think also Mary Queen of Scots. And I believe none of them have been on any of these lineups. So there's got to be, there's a strategy here for sure. But it would surprise me if all three of them stayed out of festivals entirely.
1: Yeah. Boy Erase, I feel like, has to play somewhere. If only because its kind of thunder has been stolen by um, the Miseducation of Cameron Cameron Post, which is another gay therapy movie... So, yeah, I I think that'll end up somewhere. But, yeah, the, the focus playing this game, Like I, I'm really shocked to not see Mary Queen of Scots on any of these lineups yet.
0: Especially because they released the trailer a week or two ahead. Yeah. They, and character posters, they
2: seem to be setting it up for a very big yeah. campaign. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if that means it'll be at AFI, if it'll be at New York Film Festival, or it will just be added later. But, you know, I have to kind of halt this conversation because we have not yet talked about the biggest movie at Toronto, which is a movie directed by none other than Sir Trevor Nunn. <laughs> it's called red joan and it stars judy dench as a russian spy <laughs> oh wow is that not the toronto-iest movie <laughs> you've ever heard of
0: i mean is it like in the same year as red sparrow can we handle red joan and red sparrow
1: i'm assuming it's a sequel so like the one the jennifer sparrow, lawrence ages yeah. into <laughs> a sparrow ages into a joan <laughs> I'm assuming that's what it's about.
0: That common, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, that, that old that progression, old, that old saying. So Trevor
0: Nunn, it seems, has directed one other feature. He's he's got a huge long theater directing career, but this is his second feature film. It seems
1: he's Mamma Mia, right on Broadway, or not? No, 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 no. That's no, that's Philadelphia. But he's like done big musicals. Like he's mm-hmm. done like he
0: did Oklahoma. Uh, IMDB is not useful for this, but anyway, he's. Uh, this is that's, that's big intriguing. Deal.
1: Yeah. Anyway, it just it's just like this very Toronto movie that I will be at the very first press <laughs> screen for, much like I was a few years ago for the Blake Lively blindest movie, which actually all I see is you, which actually turned out to be pretty good. So.
0: Well, that yeah, reminds me, uh, in a couple months we'll be having our exclusively, uh, oh God, the Blake Lively and the Kendrick movie. We'll have an entire episode. A yeah, oh flavor. yeah, we'll have, an, I think maybe three weeks of episodes devoted to, to that. So.
1: Well, that's opening our film yes, exactly. that, we, <laughs> that we started. At Richard's apartment. <laughs> yes, exactly. I stole a print of it.
0: <laughs> the other things I had on my list of things that I was looking for, I'm curious about mid-90s, the Jonah Hill movie that released a trailer yesterday, I think the same day. And did
1: anyone know that existed?
0: I had heard. I didn't until yeah. I got a release about it. Was it was kind
1: yet. of like a ladybird last year where it just yeah. dropped. i I heard just that
0: it existed at some point someone mentioned it um it it does seem to me like that lady bird model is going to hold it'll show up at telluride and then possibly also at tiff later um it's hard for me to imagine it'll skip all the festivals uh and then i'm still curious about what's going to go on with the dick cheney movie i think we talked about it last week and how it's called backseat for reasons i can't figure out but where when do we think that's going to show up
1: when when adam mckay uh did the big short that like waited until like was it AFI in LA, right? And like, which is like later in the fall. So I'm, I feel like it'll just like end up at that kind of thing. It'll be like a oh, later I forgot thing. about AFI. Um, that Seems
0: like the kind of yeah, movie. being like a good like yeah. I just finished my movie slot. Yeah, yeah,
2: that seems like the kind of movie that is not like literally ready yet, like has not been printed yet.
1: Right, and I believe backseat's backseat driver. Oh because I, mm. I that's my only guess I yeah. don't know but I like,
2: change it but, but if anything he was a front seat driver <laughs> he was, he was, he was, he was yeah, right exactly. there
1: he was the car <laughs> like.
2: I guess like shot a man in the face was not catchy enough too long <laughs>
1: He's, he has no pulse he is <laughs> actually a monster zero um, heart <laughs> heartless <laughs> there you go zero
0: heart 30 <laughs> call me Adam McKay uh, our friend Joe Reed uh, of the This Had Oscar Best podcast had a pretty strong theory I thought that Welcome to Marwin, the Robert Zemeckis movie would be the closing night of the New York Film. Festival, where uh, The Walk definitely played, Flight definitely played, they've got a good track record with Zemeckis.
1: The walk was open. Yeah. yeah. So, and
0: so far with the New York Film Festival, we have The Favorite as the opener and then Roma as the uh, centerpiece, and both of them will have been at other festivals. So maybe Welcome to Marwin is the big uh, debut that they're going to have.
1: Yeah, that that seems like it, it likely. And then another movie that I noticed that I think is going to be at Telluride, just judging by the sort of language, and that's definitely at Toronto, is White Boy Rick.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. Which
1: stars Matthew McConaughey. It's kind of this, and Jennifer Jason Lee, Bruce Stern. It's kind of a crime drama. Uh, There's a trailer out for it. It looks kind of gritty. Oh, Brian Tyree Henry's in it. Does
2: McConaughey play White Boy Rick?
1: No, I believe he's White Boy Rick's dad. Oh, no. And I can't find on IMDb who plays the titular Rick. I think it might be a newcomer kid. Um, But anyway, so it's directed by Jan Demange. Demange. Sure. Um, who made 71 a couple years ago with uh, Jack O'Connell, which is sort of an, like a Northern Irish, like sort of behind enemy lines thriller. That's actually really good. So the fact that it's going to be at Telluride is interesting to me. I mean, look, you know, Hostels was at Telluride last year and that didn't do anything. So like sometimes they have to throw a sort of butch movie for the old <laughs> men who spend thousands of dollars to go to Telluride. They have to just toss didn't want to
0: see I, Tanya.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, So I mean I don't know I'm just curious about it like you know as as yet another in this jumble of titles that like have been not you know glimpsed by anyone at any festival yet.
0: Does anyone have a theory on whether The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese Netflix movie, is going to come out this year? Because it's nowhere to be found in any of these lineups. It does seem like something that could just you know they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on CGI. Well yeah, how long does it take to age down? I mean (laughs) as long as they as long as he how hard is that dial to turn? I would still guess it's going to show up, but also Netflix is busy this year, so if they wanted to hold it, it doesn't. It seems like they had plenty else to campaign.
2: If they want to throw their entire budget behind an Oscar campaign for Set It Up, for example, <laughs>
1: right. they, could, exactly.
2: they could easily do that.
1: I mean, Glenn Powell, uh, Golden Globe comedy nomination? I mean, I, I would say it. Um, yeah, I'm curious about that one, and there's a, another one, a friend of the podcast, James Gray, has a space movie called Ad Astra that stars Brad Pitt that I kind of thought we were going to see on one of these lists, and we have not, so Maybe it's just not ready. Who knows? But
2: no, that whole generation's going to space. Sean Penn is in that new uh, Hulu astronaut show.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's finally time. It's
0: the final frontier, yeah. I guess. And
1: may they never come back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that seems like something that could show up at Cannes next year, too, because uh, James Gray is famously beloved yeah. in France uh, more so than we appreciate him here, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, that's I forgot to be anticipating that one.
1: Well, the big question for a lot of colleagues that I've talked to who are going to Toronto and not any of the other festivals is where is Suspiria, which is Luca Guadagnino's follow-up to Call Me By Your Name and, you know, remake of the classic uh, 70s horror, uh, Italian horror film. Um, It will be at Venice because how could it not be? Uh, It is Italian to its bones. But nowhere else yet has been announced. And I'm really, really hoping that I get a chance to see it, uh, you know, at one of these festivals. But... uh, I also just really want to know if it's like at all awards worthy or if it's just going to be like because it could be Mother, mm-hmm. which, you know, premiered at Venice last year, screened at Toronto, and then did. Which was
2: the best comedy of 2017. <laughs>
1: right. And should have gotten more recognition. I mean, if anything, brace your sinks, everyone. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm curious about that Yeah,
0: I, it's, it could also be a bigger splash. You know, Luca Guadagnino's previous movie that was really well-liked, but just didn't have awards traction. It's I mean, it's coming out in the fall. It's got... It's on the heels of Call Me By Your Name. It seems like he's past that point. But you're right that uh, it doesn't have to be a slam dunk to be worthy or interesting to... Talk about. All right. So, t- Richard, you will be at Telluride in also Toronto. We'll have coverage from all of these festivals. Um, so, everyone should just keep an eye out on, uh, spend your Labor Day weekend indoors reading Richard's reviews from Telluride. Uh, it's, I know that's yeah, what, I'm doing. It's what we'll all be doing. So, uh, <laughs> make, make it worth Richard's while.
1: And Cam Collins will be reviewing from Toronto as well. So, uh, we'll have two people kind of. We're going to fight over a Star is Born review. review is, is, is what I mean, and just what publish
0: the transcript of that fight, please. And...
1: We should do dueling reviews, actually. Oh, that would be
0: great. What if both reviews are just like, holy shit!
1: Two gay critics talk Play about the Star is Born.
2: One of, you can, one of you can review the Barbara one, one of you can review the Judy one, and
0: then you can do a back and forth for Gaga.
1: Or I'll review Gaga, he'll review Bradley Cooper or something. <laughs>
0: So let's get back to the present day. Uh, We have a gigantic, well-liked blockbuster coming to theaters this week, which is a really special thing. It's been a pretty decent summer for blockbusters, but it's hard to find one where critics are really excited and it seems like audiences will go too. And uh, Hillary and Richard, you guys both, as far as I know, really uh, were way on board with Mission Impossible Fallout.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Richard, you called it the best action movie of the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it is. I mean, it's so fun. And these movies have with the exception maybe of two, which is John Woo's uh, installment in the franchise. And that's actually up for some debate right now. People are sort of like reassessing that one. But like, this is a great franchise. They're really fun movies. Christopher McQuarrie, who's, who directed it and wrote the movie, uh, has become a sort of Tom Cruise go-to uh, in terms of a writer and director. He won an Oscar years ago for writing The Usual Suspects. And this one just, I don't know, it, 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 it figured out like, oh, there is no sort of limit to this stuff. Tom Cruise will literally do anything. He plans to die. <laughs> they're going to shoot it, Tom <laughs> Cruise into
2: space eventually, too. Fully.
1: Like, fully into space. He plans to die making one of these movies. And so they're just like, all right, well, we're just going to keep, you know, ratcheting up the the spectacle. And so the stunt work in this movie is crazy. The action scenes go on about two beats longer than you expect them to, but you in a good way. I don't know. I just had so much fun. I mean, Hillary, we saw it in IMAX, which I feel like helped a lot.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I came to this as not a big Mission Impossible person, just in that, you know, I think I saw the first one when it came out decades ago. I saw Ghost Protocol, um, but I don't have a very, like, deep knowledge of the Mission Impossible cinematic universe. Uh, And it didn't really matter, uh, which is another great thing that uh, in an age where Blockbusters can get a little serialized. I mean, you know, you go into the Avengers, uh, the one I don't Infinity War. Infinity War. I was going to say Ultron, and that's
1: <laughs> that's much longer ago. Yeah.
2: But yeah, so you go into Infinity War, and if you haven't seen twenty other movies, you are going to have no idea who any of these people are, or what they're doing, or you know, where the like little glowing rocks they're also jazzed about. Uh, but Mission Impossible, that doesn't really matter, and that's kind of refreshing in an age where movies are getting more like TV, and TV is getting more like movies. This is. Very
0: clearly a movie and very clearly doing something that it does very well. Are you guys on board with the theory that I keep popping up that Mission Impossible is just like low-key the best franchise we have? Like, we every, it doesn't get the same attention as the Avengers and the, the, the comic book movies of it. But the consistency of the quality is so above anything anyone else is doing.
2: And there aren't that many of them. So it's not like a Star Wars where, you know, Solo was perfectly fine, but there are just too many Star Wars movies. And I really think that that's why that ended up flopping like Mission Impossible waits long enough in between installments for you to get excited for the well next Tom one. Cruise has to like yeah, literally like put point. himself in
0: a cryo bath to be physically able to do it I,
1: I think it's a prestige like thing where like in, in in that movie I think it's just clones we're just seeing he dies every time he makes <laughs> these oh, that would make just, so much <laughs> sense and, uh, that's not my joke I think that's David Sims' joke um, I have to give so- someone credit for it um, but I think you know he
2: just runs so much that another Cruise springs <laughs> off of right, him right exactly
1: yeah, yeah it's a whole physics thing um But, uh, you know, I guess maybe you could make an argument for Fast and Furious. Maybe you could make an argument for the Harry Potter movies. Um, But in terms of extant, you know, right now, original-ish stuff, like, yeah, I I kind of, I I think that the, you know, basically from three on, and the first one's great too, but but the first one's a very different movie. And that's kind of why people are reassessing the second one as this kind of crux point where it turned the franchise into an action franchise versus like a spy thriller, which is the first one very much is. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, but I, yeah, I think that they've been great. They've been great in different ways. Each one, you know, um, Ghost Protocol, which was in 2000, I want to say, 13. Right. I think um, 11. 2011. Uh, Gosh, oh. really? Are we <laughs> How that? old Are has we come adults? for us? I I just remember I saw two women at the press screening I went to almost literally get in a physical fight over a seat at that screening. <laughs> um, but that was Brad Bird making his live-action debut and, and had such personality because of that. And now we've got McCrory doing his thing. And so, yeah, like, it's slightly auteur this franchise, which is interesting. And um, And at the center of it all, despite personal life, whatever you want to say about Tom Cruise outside of his presence in movies like man is like you watch this movie and you're like this guy he's just a movie star for a for a very palpable reason well, the
0: amazing thing about this franchise that I think it's easy to forget since ghost protocol was such a huge hit is that that movie was supposed to be Jeremy Renner taking over for Tom Cruise like that was the, it was because it was you know still relatively in the wake of all the Scientology Katie Holmes stuff like it just seemed like he was on his way out and Tom Cruise kind of and he was in the last one too the one between ghost yeah Football yeah with uh, three which did Fallout? well oh yeah Road sorry yeah he's was... yeah. Um, yeah so Jeremy Jeremy Renner is was still hanging around there, but just it seems like Tom Cruise, through sheer force of will, was like, "No, I'm not giving this up, and I'm gonna jump off buildings to prove that I'm still a movie star, and it works." It's well, yeah, and didn't and Matt Damon took the the Bourne's back from Jeremy Renner
2: too yeah. eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, Renner, <laughs> yeah. Things didn't quite pan out, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean that's the thing. They've they've tried different stuff with these movies. They've added cast members like Jonathan Myers as a kind of sidekick, and um, Maggie Q and uh, Jeremy Renner and you know and but he if he and Ving Rayams have really remained the only constants. And now Rebecca Ferguson has kind of joined that company. She's been And in Simon Pegg has her, been
0: in the last three. Simon Pegg, yeah. That was J.J.
1: Abrams, yeah. yeah. He brought he brought him on. Um Vanessa Kirby from The Crown is in this one and I thought And hope, hopefully
2: in the next. I, yeah,
1: I, I, there's no reason to think she won't be in the next one. That's not a spoiler, I don't think. They're playing with the the kind of people around him, but it's so clear, especially in this one, that like he the Tom Cruise is absolutely the crucial center of this, you know, this franchise. And, and in
2: fifty years his hologram will still be starring yeah, in them. Absolutely. Doing even more justifying stunts.
0: Um is it worth me asking what this movie is about? Certainly not. Oh, no. oh, I, I haven't no. really <laughs> been able to figure it out, and it, it does seem like it doesn't matter. Like even the most glowing reviews are like, yeah, it's, it's excuse for the action sequences, but there is kind of there is kind of a
2: a Unabomber esque figure, I guess, that they're trying to hunt down. He has this manifesto about. I mean, it's it's pretty standard action movie villain Anarchist stuff. Trying. Yeah, you know, burning everything down to like rebuild a new. Um, yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean. You've got Cruz, you've got Henry Cavill's mustache, you've got...
1: Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about Henry Cavill. No,
2: we didn't. And he's Yeah, really, I wanted
0: yeah. to ask about Henry he's Cavill. He's very funny And in that, movie. Th- the contractually mandated mustache. So
1: I had a very poorly timed tweet. The, the night before the interview he gave where he talked about, me. you know, like dating women and oh, how, right. like, you know, he's scared to date people because he's, you know, he's I don't know, because of Me Too or whatever. You he's know.
2: worried that people are going to accuse him of sexual misconduct if he, like, says hello. It was something right. like, very rational Some fear, yes.
1: that. Very about that. So that that happened on like a Wednesday morning but the the night before we had seen the movie and I was tweeting excitedly about it cuz the embargo had lifted or whatever and I one of my tweets was I'm working on a theory that Henry Cavill's a genius <laughs> because he's so good in the movie
0: he's so much better than he yeah. ever was a Superman
1: Oh, yeah, so much. It's night and day. I, I, well, what it is is it's it's a continuation of him and the man I from was just going to ask
0: if it's Man from Uncle Henry Cavill.
1: I mean, it's a little less like Arch and Rye than, than that movie, which everyone should see, by the way. That's a very underlooked um, summer movie from years past. But... Um, But, you know, it's not I don't think it's a spoiler. It's in the trailers. He's kind of the villain or or one of the villains anyway. Um, And uh, he plays it perfectly well because he's so good looking and like wholesome seeming that having him like tweaked just a little bit with the mustache and like to to be bad. um, It just works really well. And it's kind of like a joke in a way that I think Henry Cavill seems in on, which is fun.
2: Yeah, and the movie generally has a pretty good sense of humor, which yeah. you wouldn't always expect from some giant tentpole like this. Um, and Henry Cavill's role a lot of the time is not in like an annoying Deadpool kind of way, but to point out how ridiculous the impossible, impossible missions force is in the first place, how all they do is, you know, put on silly masks and like, run around. You really don't around. like those
1: masks.
0: I love the masks. I think the masks are so funny. They're so Scooby Doo. Well, I remember when uh, Ghost Protocol came out. Like, they there's a whole scene where they're trying to use the mask and the machine breaks, so they never use the masks at all in that. And it seemed to me like they might be moving away from it in the franchise. But I'm glad to hear that they're sticking with it because I, I think you're right, Hillary. That the the silliness of them is a huge part of the appeal.
1: There's one mask bit at the top of the film that, like, I will not spoil it, but like, it's bizarre.
2: It had me on the floor.
1: It's like a cameo that you're like, of all the cameos. <laughs> Um but uh it's great. And and I think yeah, you're speaking to the sense of humor, Hillary, like I mean granted we were at a free press screening, so people are sort of worked up sure. in a different way. I think there was free popcorn. There
2: was. There was popcorn oh, in this one. Uh, special. Which does not always happen.
1: No, that was that was nice. People were like laughing at the end of big action sequences because they were so, like, giddy and, like, fun. And, they and just,
2: like, the release of tension because yeah. it does a great job of building that. Yeah,
1: and building and building and building it. It really coils tight. So I, I, it's just, like, a really viscerally fun thing. I don't often say this because it's, like, it costs more money and, you know, it's expensive to go to movies. But, like, if you can see it in IMAX, like... I would recommend it because it's just like it's having this already crazy spectacle be that much bigger is just a lot of fun. And
2: this is, I think, a movie that probably loses something if you watch it on a laptop screen on a phone. I would
1: think so. Yeah, yeah, you need to be like locked into it. You can't be. Yeah, you can't be. Could be in a dark room. Yeah.
0: You have to have an enormous like have Tom Cruise's level of commitment to watching his movies. It kind of seems like the least you can do. He like he broke. If you don't leave
1: your screening,
0: he literally
1: snapped
2: himself in half for your amusement.
1: Pony up the seventeen fifty.
2: If you have Movie Pass, you can wait until the
0: off-peak hours and see it then. I I just looked up my uh, when the earliest I can see it. I think it might be the last thing I do before I leave for vacation, which just seems. Correct. Like, that's how you should spend your summer, right? Oh, yeah. That'll usher in a vacation well, especially if you're going to the mountains of Kashmir. <laughs> I am. <laughs> how did you guess? <laughs> That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you, as always, for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Tweet at us. Uh, help us build the word. Uh, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, writing about Mission Impossible and awards movies and so many other things. Uh, we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Richard. Rye And Hillary. Hillibuster
2: with two R's because one R was taken.
0: (laughs) This week's episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best description of how Red Sparrow turns into Red Joan goes to Richard Lawson.
1: It's kind of complicated, silly logic.